uh, and has needed to stay away. Uh, she's back uh, with us this morning. Uh, praise be to God. She's come through that, that treatment well. But here's the thing. Yeah, thanks be to God. A lot of people have been praying for her. Uh, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to give her some space, okay? Don't slobber on her. Don't sneeze on her. Don't, okay? Uh, she loves you. She's happy to see you, but she does not want your germs because she still uh, is, a little, is a little bit weak right now. Uh, we need to be still praying uh, for Pat Seragian. Uh, she's been in the hospital for quite a while now. Uh, we got a text from Jay last night, uh, and now she has COVID. Uh, so, so we just need uh, the Lord to protect her, her lungs at this time uh, and, and, and bring her uh, through this, this time of, through this time uh, of trial. Um, our second reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. Hear the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we gather here in hope and in expectation, hoping to hear a word from you, expecting to hear a word from you, for you alone have the words of life. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, word of God, that you would speak into our lives this day. This we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So much of life is about expectations. So much of our happiness is about having our expectations met. If you get seated for dinner at your favorite restaurant at 7 o'clock, but you thought you were going to be seated at 6.45, well, you are unhappy, you're impatient. What's wrong with these people? What kind of restaurant is this anyway? At least if you're Dan Morrison. 
But if you get seated for dinner at your favorite restaurant at 7 o'clock and you had been expecting to have to wait until 7.15, well, you're happy. This is my kind of place, at least if you're Dan Morrison. So often our happiness and our unhappiness is not about what we have, but about our expectations of what we're going to have. Happiness so often is about having our expectations met, which is why Christmas can get more and more complicated as the years pass. When you're a child, say three years old, experiencing Christmas really for the first time, the first time that you're going to remember it, at least everything is wonderful, everything is magical. You get a lump of coal in your stocking. Wow, look at my black shiny rock. Don't you wish you had one? The best Christmas present I remember, it might be the only Christmas present I remember because I'm so forgetful, but the the best Christmas present I remember was a pair of brown leather shoes. They had blunt, rounded toes, and they laced up like real shoes. I loved them. I still love them. We were living in Missouri at the time. We were as poor as church mice, but each Christmas, my Aunt Martha, some of you knew her, My Aunt Martha and my Uncle Carl would put together a box of gifts for the poor relatives in Missouri. They would mail it from Philadelphia. I must have been five years old when I got those shoes, and I I will remember those shoes until the day that I die. I had no expectations what Christmas would bring, and so when a pair of shoes showed up, I was thrilled. I couldn't believe my good fortune. I had done nothing to receive them, and here they were, perfect, round, brown shoes. But as time passes, well, our expectations rise. You can only thrill someone with a pair of brown shoes one time, and then you have to up the ante. And not only do we compare what we got this Christmas with what we got last Christmas, we also compare what we got this Christmas with what others got this Christmas. Maybe you remember that starting back when we were in grade school. You'd come to school after Christmas break. Everyone wanted to know what you had gotten for Christmas. Some bragged about getting that one toy, the latest, the greatest, the hardest to get toy that everybody wanted. The poor kids just kept quiet. And then there comes a point in everyone's life, at least if they live long enough, there comes a point in everyone's life when the things and the people that you have come to expect at Christmas, the things and the people who have always been there at Christmas, the things and the people without which Christmas really isn't Christmas, well, there comes a point in everyone's life when those things and those people just go missing. They're no longer there. And Christmas, the Christmas of our expectations, is drained of much of its joy. Happiness can turn into disappointment because our expectations are not met. Do you remember those crazy COVID Christmases? Large family gatherings were replaced by tiny huddles in our bubble 
I hope we never get used to the huddle or the bubble. That's not what God designed us for. God designed us for fellowship. God designed us for great big get-togethers. We were made to be together, which is why it's important to be in church, to see faces, and to realize that we're in fact part of something much larger than just ourselves, something real, not the stupid metaverse. We all know that there are a lot of people who love us and who are cheering for us when things are great. We all know that there are a lot of people who have our backs and who support us when times are tough. We know that when we see those people, when we're with those people here in the flesh. That's the way it's supposed to be. I hope we never forget it. The huddling and the hiding in our bunkers is not real life. It is not life as God intended it. It was a temporary setback. It was a momentary emergency. Probably the greatest disappointment we feel, and we notice it most during the Christmas holidays, is the death of a family member, the loss of someone close to us. Let me read you a list of names of people that we have lost over these past two years. Bob Bear, Stephen Cefeli, Darrell Muir, Bob Schreiner, Barry Hofstetter, Dennis Rosardo. Martha Halter, Betty Hewitt, Fred Ungerman, Isabel Mitchell, Byron Crawford, Bob Akins. Not so long ago, those people were part of our Christmases. They were part of our daily lives, and now they're gone, and we miss them. And our Christmas feels diminished, not the same, sad and blue, because what we once had and loved so dearly, what we had come to expect each and every Christmas, well, it's just no longer with us. So much of our happiness has to do with our expectations and having our expectations met there is actually a very deep theological and biblical truth connected with this feeling of loss and sadness and disappointment. Believe it or not, while loss is an ongoing reality of our lives, while there is no life without sadness or disappointment, this is not actually how God intended it to be. God created the world, and the world was good. And the world had no death. I know it's hard to wrap our minds around the idea because death is so much a part of our reality. We're born into a fallen world and we have, all we have ever known is a world in which death reigns. Where death has the last word, no one escapes death in our experience. But something in our deep spirit revolts against this. Something in our deep spirit knows that this is now not how it should be. 
which is why we always feel death as a loss, as an affront, as a disappointment. Look, think about it this way. Given the fact that death is universal, it would seem irrational or bizarre for our spirits to revolt against what we might call natural, and yet we do revolt against it. Only an unhealthy person, a sick person, embraces or looks for death. Because something in our deep spirit knows that this is not the way it's supposed to be. We have a deep longing for a world where we do not have to say goodbye to the people that we love. We have a deep longing for a world where death does not steal from us what is most precious. And you know what? That longing for a world free of death is not childish, it's not naive, it's not irrational, it's not sentimental, it's actually woven into the very fabric of the human soul. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, even though we have never seen it. We still imagine a world where our loved ones will not die. Every sane and healthy human being has an innate, God-given desire to live in a world where we do not have to say goodbye to the people that we love, where we never have to celebrate a Christmas without those who are most important to us. That desire in us, That eternity that's been written into our heart is part of what lets us know that this world is not all that there is, that we were actually made for another world, a larger world, which swallows this world up. C.S. Lewis has a very interesting observation about this in Mere Christianity. (laughs) He writes... Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We have a desire for eternal life. That's why we are disappointed when Life comes to an end. We have a desire for our loved ones to live with us forever. That's why we are so sad when they die. We have a desire for a Christmas celebration free from the cloud of grief and sadness. That desire is right. It is healthy, it is sane, and it is God-given. And Jesus was born into this world so that we might have what we desire so that we might have eternal life all of you know what john 3:16 says god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have 
eternal life. That's why he came. Eternal life is not a childish fantasy. It is what we were created for. Yes, we live in a fallen world where things fall apart and bodies fall apart and lives fall apart and marriages fall apart and none of that is God's will. All of that is the result of sin. And God's rescue from sin is his own son who takes away the sins of the world if we place our faith in him. We live in a veil of tears. We live in a world full of trouble. Sometimes we pray to God for relief from this or that problem. God, heal my body. God, save my marriage. God, help our nation because troubles in our bodies and troubles in our homes and troubles in our land bring us grief and sadness. It is right and it is good to pray for those kinds of small salvations. But we can also pray for the grander salvation God, save my life. Save it for eternity. Don't just rescue me from this present grief, this present trouble. Save me to be a part of that new world that you will establish with all of your saints. God, give me a glorified body and let me be with you and the whole church for all eternity in New Jerusalem. Let me live without sickness and without death and let me live the way that you wanted us to live way back in the beginning. That's the grand salvation that God sent his son into this world to accomplish. Paul in the 8th chapter of Romans talks about this present world, this present stage of reality that we live in. He talks about this world full of trouble that we have to operate in. He talks about it as being like a woman in the pains of labor. Suffering, real suffering, tough suffering, but temporary suffering. Because the blessing is coming, the birth is coming, we will not suffer like this forever. We need to hold on until that blessing is in our hand. Paul writes, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It won't count when we have the glory. We're going to think, oh, that was nothing when we have that glory. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We know the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and daughtership for the, adoption, for the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Let's be very clear about this because there's a lot of bad theology out there. When we are saved, when we're born again, when we are converted, when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, when we are in a state of grace, use whatever phrase you want for it, when we are saved, it is not just our spirits that are transformed, but it is also our bodies. 
Our present body, Scripture calls a body of death. Our very bodies are going to be redeemed. Our bodies are going to be transformed. They are going to be glorified. They're going to be equipped and made ready for eternity. And if you want to know where all this is going and what all of this will look like, I encourage you to look ahead and see how the story ends. Revelation chapter 21, John tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the first order of things has passed away. Do you know who said that? Do you know who's making... That incredible promise, it's the one who's sitting on the throne. It's Jesus, the baby born in Bethlehem, the good shepherd of his sheep, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came into this world not to condemn this world, but to remake this world And if you take Jesus into your life, he will not condemn you, but he will remake you. He will rebuild you. He will make you the way he wanted you to be from the beginning. So have you been saved? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you owned him? Is Jesus the king who sits on the throne of your life? Jesus said then to John, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. So often we think that we've got to earn our salvation. I think the thing that keeps more people out of heaven is because you got people thinking they're going to earn their way there. The water of life, the spring of life, is water that we receive without cost. We don't buy it. We don't pay for it. We just ask for it, and we receive it. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Advent is a season of preparation for the coming of Christmas. It is Also a time when we think about the second coming of Jesus. Jesus promised that he would be back and that he's going to gather the church to himself in that rapture. At our house, we have only begun to get ready for Christmas. Mia and I went and got a tree uh, yesterday. It's a pretty good tree. Uh, I still haven't bought a single present if you guys are expecting something you'll probably be disappointed I've been using the dissertation defense okay I have to submit my dissertation in 12 days 
And from here to the bitter end, every night is a late night of grinding away, so there's really no time for foolishness like buying and wrapping presents. And I'm sure that you will understand. Okay. Well, I've got a little something for my grandson, but that's different. Okay. We're getting ready for Christmas. It's going to be a time of joy and celebration as we gather with our families. There will be elements of sadness and loss as we gather because some of those who we love most won't be with us this year. But as we get ready for Christmas, I want you also to be getting ready for eternity. The whole world is celebrating Christmas. How about you? Will you celebrate it this year knowing that he is your Lord and Savior? Will you celebrate it this year knowing that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died on a cross as an atonement for our sins and that he was raised, like literally raised from the dead? Dead one day, not dead the next day. Do you believe that Jesus will return in clouds of glory and that he'll gather the whole church from all over? The dead will rise, those who are still alive, all be gathered up. Do you believe that? Have you repented of your sins? Have you recognized, you know what, I'm a sinner, I'm bound for hell, I'm on the highway to hell, I've been my whole life, I can't fix this myself. Have you repented of your sins? Sometimes the greatest sin that we can have is the sin of thinking that we are righteous enough on our own. Have you asked God for forgiveness? Are you trusting in the blood of Christ to wash away your sins? Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for Christ to return? Let's pray. Almighty God, we are um, amazed and perplexed that you are so high and lifted up so far beyond us, and yet, wow, you want it to be with us, and you want it to communicate with us, and you want it to make yourself known to us, and you revealed yourself to us. We thank you for the revelation of Scripture. We thank you for the desire of your heart to have a relationship with us. Lord, I thank you for the words of Scripture this day, words that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit, words which are true and trustworthy. May the meaning of those words take root in our hearts. May the meaning of those words change who we are from the inside out and prepare us to receive you and to know you as Lord. This favor we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.